Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Hairstyles for schools, corporate jobs, and many public institutions tend to reflect what the majority population considers acceptable. They rarely take into account cultural connections that so many tribes value. The landscape is changing, but raising awareness, much less changing policy, is a constant battle. But there are those who are working to make a difference for all of us. We'll talk to some of them right after the news. National Native News, I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A Becker County, Minnesota jury sided with a former employee of the environmental group Honor the Earth in her sexual harassment claim. Margaret Campbell filed a civil lawsuit in 2019 against Honor the Earth, an organization formed by environmental activist Winona LaDuke. Campbell complained a co-worker sexually harassed her in 2014 and 15 and acted inappropriately with Native American boys. She says Honor the Earth's leaders failed to take her concerns seriously. Campbell initially filed a complaint with the Minnesota Department of Human Rights. It found no probable cause Honor the Earth was guilty of sexual discrimination or took punitive action against Campbell. She appealed, and last week the jury awarded her $750,000 in damages for sexual harassment and retaliation. In a statement, LaDuke said Honor the Earth remains committed to resisting all forms of sexual harassment, violence, and assault. Youth leaders recently highlighted priorities for the Circumpolar North during a panel at the recent Arctic Encounter Conference in Anchorage, Alaska. They included Indigenous fellows and policy advisors from Alaska, Canada, and Greenland. In addition to climate adaptation and cultural preservation, panelists stressed the need to look at the root causes of outmigration from their traditional homelands. Cordelia Kelly is Special Assistant for Rural Affairs to U.S. Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski. She says during a recent trip to Kosabu, she heard about the need for port development to have easier access to goods and other needs. Infrastructure, cost of living, and housing as being priorities for making sure people can stay on our traditional homelands. On another panel, older Alaska Native leaders discussed the necessity of an energy transition away from fossil fuels. Chief Gary Harrison of Chickaloon Village says he fears climate change could destroy the way of life he wants to pass on. People's in the Arctic are... Uh, like the canary in the coal mine, it's going to be affecting us first. Our bottom line is going to be, what are we going to have for the future generations? You know, if we leave them a mess, how are they going to live? Planning for a sustainable future that balances resource development and climate change were top discussions at the three-day gathering. A Canadian rhythm and blues singer has been honored by Native leaders for her rendition of Canada's national anthem. Dan Karpinchuk has more. It took place at the NBA All-Star Game in Salt Lake City, Utah in February. Instead of singing O Canada, Our Home and Native Land, Julie Black sang this. Oh Canada, our home on a native land. At a special chief's assembly in Ottawa of the Assembly of First Nations on Monday, Black was honoured for the small change to the anthem. She was presented with an eagle feather and wrapped with a blanket during a blanketing ceremony by AFN National Chief Roseanne Archibald. 
saying she was grateful Black held back tears and said she didn't realize her action would receive such a response. If I have an opportunity to, to help be an amplified voice, then I'm going to. And so that, that's where, that's where I, I made the decision. For As a singer, if you cry, you'll lose your voice. You won't sound very good. I'm first-generation Canadian. Singing that song since kindergarten, learning it, someone telling me to sing it, not knowing how it, what it actually meant. And so as a songwriter, I, did, I didn't want to disrespect the, the songwriter, because I'm one too. Um, but I also realized that we are on the land, like on it. It isn't, we don't own it. It's not ours. And so rather than look at it as I changed the anthem, I wish I could kind of sit with the songwriter and say, hey, you might have got the facts wrong. Black says she also consulted with some of her Indigenous friends before making the final decision. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by StrongHearts Native Helpline, providing no-charge confidential support and resources to Native Americans affected by domestic and sexual violence 24-7 at 1-844-7-NATIVE or strongheartshelpline.org. Support from AmeriCorps VISTA, whose members serve to alleviate poverty while earning money for college and gaining professional skills. Rewarding service opportunities can be found at A-M-E-R-I-C-O-R-P-S dot G-O-V slash V-I-S-T-A. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. A new children's book explores the meaning and history of Native hair. My Powerful Hair by Native author Carol Lidstrom and illustrator Steph Littlebird gives readers personal and spiritual context, but also revisits a time when cutting hair was a tool of colonial oppression. We'll also hear this hour from a Native hairdresser about the individual and political importance of hair. But to start off, we go to a family of a first grader fighting a charter school stance on long hair. Administrators told the boy's parents the North Carolina school's policy now requires him to cut his hair. The mother from the Suan tribe says her son considers his hair an important part of his native identity. The school delayed further action after getting a letter from the ACLU. We're exploring the continuing fight for awareness of the importance of native hair, and we invite you to join the conversation. Have you or a family member ever been told to cut your hair by a school or employer? How is your hair important to you? Call us at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Or leave a comment on our social media pages. Our Twitter handle, 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now from Leland, North Carolina, is Ashley Lomboy. She is Wakamasuan. Ashley, welcome to Native America Calling. Hi, thank you for having me, Sean. You bet, Ashley. And also joining us from the Washington, D.C. metro area is Carol Lindstrom. She is the author of My Powerful Hair. She is Turtle Mountain Ojibwe and Métis. Carol, welcome back to Native America Calling. Hi. Hi, Sean. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. It's great to have you here as well, Carol. And Ashley, please start us off by explaining what happened at this charter school your six-year-old son attends. Yeah, thank you, Sean. Thank you for having me on the show. 
Um, so my, my son, Logan, um, he is a first grader. Um, he'd been attending the school for about 18 months. Um, it's a public charter school, and um, the charter school has a, a hair policy, a boys' grooming policy, they call it, um, to keep the hair off the collar and off the ears. Um, also, no fattish hair. And so um, to start the school in kindergarten, what we would do is pull it into the back and, and put it into a bun to keep it off of his hair and his collar. You know, we didn't want to cause, I'll say, a disruption um, with the school. Um, but if, uh, about two months ago now, um, the school came out and said that, um, you know, my husband was picking up our sons that day at school. And uh, the school um, headmaster shared with him that we would need to cut his hair for him to return back. Um, of course, that didn't sit well and um, had a lot of questions back to the school as to why, what has happened, um, same as what you just asked. And they shared with us that the school has changed their definition verbally about what a fad is considered and that boys with buns or braids are now considered faddish and are no longer allowed. Okay, so this is a charter school, so they do receive tax dollars, but they have, they're have they governed by a board, so they have a lot of flexibility in terms of what types of policies and how they run their school. Uh, so they have more flexibility than, than like a regular public school would. Uh, what's their justification, though? What are they telling you? Why this switch in the policy now? Um, just that it's a considered, it, they are now considering it a fad. Um, I, I think it was last week the president of the school um, share that he, um, in his words, um, that he visited the school and he saw a lot of um, white boys with, with man buns and said, okay, well, two years ago, I wouldn't have saw these man buns. And so now um, we're going to consider that as being a fad. Um, and so it really sounds crazy me just telling you that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because <laughs> well, I, um, I, I, obviously buns and braids have been around for centuries. Well, um, I want to ask so, you, how old is this person, this, uh, per, this person that's associated with the board, how old is this person? I'm just curious. Um, they're about 86, 87 years old from okay. like, what I see from their public record. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, because it just seems to me in this day and age, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when, you know, there were a lot of people that were had a lot of opinions about how long a, a boy's hair should be. But it just seems like as as the years have gone by, that group is, is definitely a dwindling minority. So somebody in their late 80s, I, I, I guess that would fit that generation of folks that have some strong views about things like that. So, uh, so I mean, what's your response been to the school? What have you told them? Oh, goodness. Um, well, I think, you know, I've always come from a point of education, and um, that really has been, um, even before the, the issue with the charter school, here in the Cape Fear have been a, a large advocate for indigenous boys, um, sharing about our people, um, you know, hey, what's appropriate, and just educating. And so, of course, that's what I leaned heavily on um, in communicating back to the school was maybe they just don't understand. Maybe they don't know why it's so important um, to my son and to my family, to my culture, that he, he maintains his long hair. And so um, when I shared that education back with them in my grievance letter, um, it was denied. Um, even on the religious, you know, freedom side, they were like, no, you know, we don't agree with that. It's denied. Um, and at that point is whenever I reached out with the ACLU um, for assistance and for help. Um, I really didn't feel like it was right. And with the way that classical char that charter schools are operated, 
they do have these freedoms to um, set policies, but they don't have the right to to take away and to not um, and, and to not abide by state and federal laws, right? And I think that that's where um, where the ACLU has really helped. And, and I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but I said, well, this doesn't seem right. Um, and for myself, you know, I'm a veteran. I served in Operation Iraqi Freedom in 07, 08. Um, you know, I fought for this country and to come back and have to now fight for my son's rights and for all boys' rights, really, in the school system to be able to have their hair long, um, it just seems like a playbook that we've already seen before as Native people. Um, and unfortunately, very reminiscent of boarding school type tactics of removing culture and assimilating children um, into, um, into up in the quote-unquote civilized way that they should be, they think that certain people think that they should be living, um, not embracing okay. their culture. Right, right. And now tell us where you're at right now. Your son's hair is still long. He's still at the school, but you're awaiting another hearing. Is that right? Right. Um, so the school has, with all the pressure from, I feel like the world um, is placed on the school and really highlighting this in organizations like yourself, sharing about what's going on in the school um, so broadly and so deep and, and with such compassion. The school has said, hey, you know, we're going to take a few months and reevaluate our policy. Um, and they have said it on April 27th this year. So in a, just a few more weeks, they're going to vote on um, they're going to vote on the policy, either changing it or keeping it. Um, so far, the school has just doubled down and why they need to keep the policy the way it is and why they are. Um, okay. So it's kind of, you know, they're allowing our sons to, and it's not only my son um, that's impacted this. There's also Lumbee children, boys, um, about six of them that are also impacted by this decision of the school. Um, so on the 27th, the school is going to be voting, school board trustees voting on their policy, either keeping it, modifying it. Um, they may be doubling down on it again. Um, but they've said that they're going to apply that to next year's um, class, and there'll be um, more scrutiny on who they're accepting into the school based off of that policy and making wow. sure that they start out the school year with you must have your hair in this type of compliance okay. before you begin. And, again, this is a public charter school. So, yes, all of all of our tax dollars. <laughs> yeah, okay, Ashley, so – April 27th, uh, it's about three weeks away. So what happens uh, if they vote to to uphold this policy, no long hair? What is your family going to do? Well, um, I I mean, I think that my, my family is likely going to move um, schools. I, I believe that um, others are probably thinking the same thing. Um, I think there's a safety issue. Um, obviously, every morning I wake up, my kids are going to the same school now as well, um, you know, to be able to finish out this year. I do have a, uh, a third grader who's starting standardized testing this year. And um, to pull them out um, right before standardized testing, it's going to significantly impact um, their schooling. So every day is a prayer, um, even more so than before that, you know, um, that the school or they don't um, do anything right to my children um, is what we've seen in other schools happen around the United States, I've seen where kids' um, braids have been cut, you know, um, mocked at school, bullied at school, 
-hmm. so far we haven't had any of that occurring um, but we'll definitely be um, talking back with the ACLU and, and others on what our next steps will be legally after that because um, I don't feel like this is something that needs to go unchecked. Um, I don't believe it's something that other families need to have to deal with. Um, I think it's something we need to continue to highlight, continue to share what schools are, you know, what the school is doing. Um, you know, they're, um, one of the schools, um, Classical Charter School of Whiteville, is in the middle of a very rural area where the kids don't have a lot of other great opportunities to go to school. And so it's a bit of preying on, you know, those rural areas where schools aren't, you know, um, unfortunately the public schools um, are low rated. There's not a lot of other good school education options to go to um, and to use tax dollars really um, and create this discriminatory type policy is a really an injustice um, for, for not only our kids, but for all kids, right? Because then you're, you're mm -hmm. segmenting out who you want to attend the school based off of their hair. Right. right. And and the other side of this issue as well is this is an excellent school, right? Really good standardized test scores. I mean, you like this school. You like the quality of education that your sons are receiving. They've just got these policies that you're at odds with. Right. Okay. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Ashley, we're going to have to take a, a short break here, but uh, anyone listening today who has thoughts or any any insights on what we're talking about today, uh, a young uh, first grader here in North Carolina uh, being told he's got to cut his hair if he wants to stay in a charter school. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. Outdoor track season is underway, and there are a number of native athletes and coaches in the spotlight. We'll talk to standout performers about their drive and inspirations for track and field. That's all in the next Native America Calling. Ah, halt. If you are age 45 years or older, it may be time to talk with a healthcare professional about colon cancer screening. Medicare, Medicaid, and the Marketplace have you covered. For more information, visit healthcare.gov or call 800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're continuing our conversation about Native hair, starting with a student fighting a school's policy in North Carolina. Right now, though, let's hear an interview with Amber Starks. Amber is an activist who has worked on reforming legislation around hair. She's a citizen of the Muscogee Creek Nation and African-American. She talks about the importance of hair within her two cultures. Here is part of that conversation I recorded earlier. I think for me, hair is a really personal, it's really personal. So I grew up learning that, you know, hair is like my beauty and my strength, but also I think that I learned here was about family and love and care because my mom spent a lot of time doing my hair and taking care. And, you know, we would go to the beach and pick up seashells or buy beads and put it in my hair. And so hair was one of the first ways that I 
um, learned about being beautiful, I think, even if it was indirectly. And then also it was a means of connecting with my mom and then other, I would say other black women who did my hair as well. So hair was, hair was and is a connection to people and even place and culture. So that, that initially is what hair I think was for me, but I also have grown to understand the ways in hair is a form of resistance. So ways that both my black and my native ancestors and also contemporaries uh, refuse our oppression and refuse, you know, European and Westernized ideas of beauty and even respectability. Hair for me is a way that we we uh, practice freedom and futurity. And yeah, hair is hair. Hair is so personal, though. It it can be a collective a collective thing. But I think too, I want to recognize that hair is can be so personal as well. Well, along that line, when you say that hair is a form of resistance, um, can you explain like how that attitude or those beliefs manifest themselves in the actual styles and the way that people wear their hair? Yeah, so even thinking back early on, um, particularly for African Americans, you know, being that we're an ethnic group who was uh, the descendant of indigenous peoples of Africa, the ways that we wore our hair, the ways that we wear our hair today, a lot of those ways are connected to our indigeneity and the ways that our ancestors wore their hair. And so even as we were trafficked, enslaved, and stolen, the ways that we wore our hair often allowed us to hold on to the people that we came from. And also, you know, I don't know if a lot of people know that, but Enslaved peoples that sometimes braid patterns in their hair to tell them, you know, wait, how to get to freedom, you know, how to uh, escape to the north or to wherever it is that they needed to go. Um, they'd also put seeds like rice in their hair so that when they ended up wherever it is they were being um, taken to, that they can grow food, right? And so just those two examples are ways in which, for me, like, Indigenous Africans and their descendants, us, found ways to still hold on to who we were and who we are, despite the violence that we were doing. And then even in being here and being brought here, I think our hair, a lot of times, was seen as us trying to hold on to our who we were. And so you would find that there were laws to restrict the ways that, you know, Black women in particular could wear their hair. And then when I think about my Native ancestors, the way that the the settler state would require us to cut our hair or they would cut our hair, you know, in boarding schools or, you know, um, any any institutions because they saw that as, you know, that was familiar to them of us hanging on to our cultural and our identities, right? And so the ways in which we decided to continue to wear our hair, to, you know, style our hair or to resist under these systems, I think, shows how we were determined and how we're determined to continue to stay connected to our peoples and our cultures and our identities, even especially for, I would say, for Black folks who have, you know, have been disconnected from our indigeneity for generations. It's a way that we have still managed to hang on to our culture, even when we struggle to know exactly where we came from. And I think for indigenous people of the, uh, North America, South America, the Caribbean, for us, it is just 
you know, it's our spiritual connection, and we refuse to give that up because we understood the price that our ancestors had to pay in boarding schools and, you know, under the settler state when it came to our hair, right? Like, there was very, there was a lot of um, intense violence around making sure that that part of us was removed in addition to, you know, other aspects of our culture and our identities. Now, Amber, back in 2013, you played a role in passing uh, an Oregon state law, the Natural Hair Act. Can you talk about that yes. and, and your work on awareness of, of both black and native hair? Yeah, so uh, I remember I was in a leadership class, and uh, one of the things that I was learning, and this was through the Urban League of Portland, we were we were being taught like what, some of the policies that you know black folks have had to had to endure for generations. But one of the things they brought up is how black and native people had experienced over representation in the foster care system. And and I just remember thinking, wow, you know, we have ICWA, we have a we have this tool at least somehow to protect our native communities. And I was thinking, we don't we don't have something similar in black communities. So how can I support black kids the way that I know that our communities, our native communities, support you know our native children? And I thought hair was a really easy conduit because. Again, I had grown up getting my hair done by my mom and by people in my community, and it was a way that they translated culture and made sure that, you know, we were, I was connected to my culture through my hair. And so I thought it would be a great idea to do something like that for black children to go into foster care, uh, foster homes and do black children's hair or to have their families come to me. Um, And then I learned that it was actually illegal under under the law to do hair without a full cosmetology license. And so when I called the cosmetology board, they told me the only way around it was to change the law. And, you know, I'm pretty stubborn, I'm pretty bold, and so I just called my legislators and said, hey, would you be willing to work on a law with me that would allow stylists, natural hair stylists, to perform without going under, you know, going to school, which was about 1,700 hours at the time. And just to compare, to get a I think it's 1,500 um, hours to be a paramedic. And so the the disparity in that just seemed really ridiculous to me. And so, you know, I, I yeah, pursued it with my legislators and asked them if they would be willing to make a modified law so that we could practice without schooling. And fortunately, um, we were able the first time around to get the law changed so that now there is a modified license that allows any natural hair practitioner to do braiding, locking, twisting, any style that doesn't require cutting or permanent chemicals or anything like that. We have a small booklet that we have to read and understand safety and sanitation. But my goal was I wanted to make sure black children had something, even if it was a you know microscopic amount of something that was kind of like ICWA, where they had they would have the opportunity to stay connected to culture. And I know how prevalent natural hair is and I know how prevalent it, you know, how many of us do it within community that we don't necessarily go to a salon to get our hair done, but that we, you know, it is kind of this underground word of mouth network where we go and get get our hair done. And so I wanted to create 
a you know a legal way you know to be legitimized even though i know that like our culture is legitimate whether the state recognizes or not right whether we're black or native we we don't need permission to be who we are we don't need permission to grow our hair and to do our hair uh in ways that uplift and uphold our cultures right but it was my hope that if should people choose to want to do it formally this was an avenue I mean, it would allow them to, you know, um, earn money in a way that wouldn't put them at risk of getting fined or um, be in a position to be get in trouble, right? So, yeah. So it's been it's been what ten years now, and the success of the Natural Hair Act and the licensing. You know, the last time I checked, I think we were up to 115 licensees, which is something that I know was has been a surprise to the industry that that many people have. I decided to get the license. Absolutely. And congratulations to you as well as everyone else that, that pushed that law through the Natural Hair Act there in Oregon. Amber, I want to thank you so much uh, for sharing your time today. Anything else you'd like to add to the topic of hair before we wrap up? Yeah, I just want to remind Black and Native and Black Native folks that, you know, our hair is is both personal, but it is really, it is cultural and you know, the ways we resist, um, I, I wanted to re remind us that we have always been the authors and architects of our freedom and our liberation and how we wear our hair and how we, you know, exist in the world is how we practice futurity and that it's important to do that now, right? And so for all the kids who have had to endure you know, school policies that force them to change their hair or cut their hair, I, I say we, we are allowed to practice um, futurity by saying no and by, you know, fighting against any of these kind of restrictive laws that would tell us that we don't get to be who we are and that we don't get to exist, you know, um, as we are and as our peoples are. So um, I want to encourage parents and individuals who are having to endure these things to keep going because there's a lot of us who are out there to support you and fight for you because Black liberation and Indigenous sovereignty will happen. They are happening. And so keep going. That was Amber Sparks, an Afro-Indigenous activist. If you'd like to share thoughts about the cultural importance of your hair, you can join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let us know what your thoughts are, why you wear your hair long, why you style it the way you do. We'd really like to hear from some of our listeners today regarding this topic. And at this point, I'd like to bring our next guest into the conversation, Carol Lidstrom, uh, her latest children's book, My Powerful Hair. Carol, uh, let's talk about this book. What inspired you to write it? Yes, I'm sorry. God, oh, thanks for having me again, Sean. Um, I love to, I'm really just honored to be able to speak about this and listening to the stories that we just did. Uh, just really um, reinforces me to me more why this book is important. Um, well, and that's kind of why I wrote it to be, uh, for several reasons. But um, Ashley's son having to deal with those issues in school uh, is certainly one of the things that spurned the book. Um, that also, I remember reading stories and hearing stories about um, Native children, boys um, spe and specifically, that had been getting their braids cut in schools, either by other students or even by teachers. And I was just shocked that that was still allowed in this day and age. That, were, you know, mm -hmm. that I just didn't understand it. 
So then I reflected about myself and my hair, and my mother wouldn't let me have long hair as a child. Um, and I started, you know, thinking back to that and how she would say it was like wild and it looks, um, you're just bad kind of, you know, not good kind. And so I remember, then I started thinking back to my grandmother. My grandma was um, forced into um, Indian boarding school. And I, that's where I kind of thought, well, that's maybe where all of this, you know, hair of my mom came from and not having it, not being able to have it. And then I thought about the stories of, you know, going on today. Um, and I thought there needs to be um, some education in the world, I think, uh, clearly about the importance of Native Indigenous hair um, and why it's not just hair and it's not a fad, you know, that it's actually our culture and part of who we are. And there, you cannot distinguish the difference between the two. You know, it's like our skin. <laughs> so right, that's why, right. I, yeah, so the book had to be written. And I thought, well, then I, I can maybe do something so that, um, and, and it's been really a positive experience so far in speaking about it to schools and so forth, that young people seem to understand it. And even older people just seem to be, um, like, shocked that they had no idea about the boarding school era. And I'm, you know... That's where it all comes from, I think, this, this shame, you know, hair and um, mm-hmm. this. people need to be educated, I think, about the importance of it. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned, you know, in this day and age, and that's what I keep thinking, too. Like, you know, we're hearing, hearing this story uh, of Ashley's family there in North Carolina, and uh, you just have to think, like, I, I mean, you, know, you turn on the television, I mean, watch an NFL game. Half the guys on the field have long hair. White guys have long hair. Black guys have long hair. And it's like, I mean, long hair, it isn't just for natives anymore, you know? So you just hear it, but yet there are still people that are pushing back. Like, no, no, man's hair should be short. And it's just, uh, it's really intriguing. So uh, for people that read your book, both children and adults, uh, what's the main takeaway? What are they, what are they going to get from reading this book? Well, um, I think for a lot of things, I think they're going to understand that hair, and, and it's not just like native hair. And uh, when I tell them, of course, it's um, it, it's uh, all a lot of different cultures have uh, this, their their you know the hair being such an important part of who they are and who and what they are, and that hair is not just um, uh, something on the top of your head. It's an extension of us. It's a scrapbook of what we've you know, our lives, any person we've been with, people that we, things we've done, it's all part of our hair. And I think when, especially Native, when you have a loved one braid your hair, that that connection that is um, between the, the braid er and the braid e, you know, that love and that uh, special, um, I mean, I don't understand how anybody, if they don't know this, the beauty of what our culture is, can uh, you know, ever doubt it and, may, and not understand that it's not a fad. It's not something, you know, if you fads are something that are just brought up, we've been here since time immemorial. We've had long hair since, you know, since we've been colonized, basically. And that's when it was told we weren't no longer allowed. And, uh, you know, I'm not like I feel like for myself, I'm finally growing my hair long and I'm well past my you first degree years, but I, you know, I'm like embracing myself now. I'm embracing who I am, and I want young people, native people, people with you know, in cultures where their hair is, you know, it's a very important part. I want them to see how important it is and how important they are, and that is their power. Their hair is their power. It's not 
something that you, they should feel ashamed of or that they shouldn't be allowed to be who they are. That's so not right. And it hurts my heart when I hear these stories because it's not it's so not right. It's so not true for a young person to have to feel those feelings. I don't it's not right to make people young people feel that. So I wanna be write these positive books that um that also show non native children, of course, you know, that the beauty of their hair too and that their hair is just more than um uh, and I think a lot of I get gasps in the, from the young people when they see in the book that she cut her hair. You know, they go, "Oh, she grew it long and she cut it." But, but I tell them that's our choice. You know, that's right. her choice. She got to choose to do that and to do something to give to her grandfather when he passed. And that's not something that her grandmother or like my grandmother or my mother had. You know, had a choice of. You didn't have a choice. You you had to have your hair short or you, you know, couldn't survive in boarding school. So. We're going to have to take another break now. We're talking with Carol Lindstrom, and she's the author of My Powerful Hair, and she's written other children's books as well. You might be familiar with her work. And we're going to talk a little bit more with Carol when we come back, and we're also going to talk with Ashley Lomboy uh, about what's going on there in North Carolina. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. This Easter, you can find truly unique gifts and menu items from SweetgrassTradingCo.com, a Ho-Chunk Inc. company, where you can choose from a variety of food, beauty, and wellness items from tribes across Turtle Island. Ho-Chunk Inc. supports this show. You're listening to Native America Calling. If you want to contribute to today's conversation about the cultural and spiritual importance of hair, you can do so by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-996-2848. Our phone lines are open, so let's get some calls going. 1-800-996-2848. Share your thoughts about the importance of Native hair. On the line, we have Carol Lindstrom, and she is a Turtle Mountain Ojibwe and Métis author. And Carol, one of the uh, the things that your books are so well known for are just these really riveting, colorful illustrations and artwork. And you're working with a new illustrator on uh, My Powerful Hair. Tell us about it. Yes. Oh, I'm Steph Littlebird. Oh, gosh. He's so talented. Um, well, that's one thing that I really um, want to make a point of doing um, is working with um, new uh, Native artists that because... Um, the in the you know oh gosh I've been writing for a long time children's books and many years um, there was told that you know there was no place for our books no one wanted them in the trade so um, you know it was hard no no native people didn't typically study things like graphic design you know because there wasn't really a place what we were told you know on the shelves for our books and so you know why would they spend that kind of money to study that so um, you'll find a lot of of course artists. Or native artists that paint or bead or what have you, but um, aren't really trained in that graphic design sort of um, world. So that's one thing I want to do, and I would make sure with the publisher that I work with that when we find um, an, uh, an our artist that we really love the style of, that they are willing, to, the publisher is willing to work with them to help guide them and to, to just help grow their, um, you know, bil abilities so that once they finish a picture book, basically they have a skill, you know, now that they, they know how to work a, a, a 
a, a picture book, you know, the 32 pages and whatnot, so they could go, you know, they'll be more marketable for other um, Native writers and other authors that they could, um, you know, be trained to be illustrators. So I'm really grateful that um, the publishers are willing and able and wanting to do that because I would hate to miss out on this beautiful artwork. I mean, I think that her work is so stunning and just life full of life. And I know that's one thing she wanted to make sure she showed in the artwork is the, is the color and vibrancy of our cultures. Um, whereas a lot of times we feel like, and she felt like native peoples are, are, you know, shown in sepia tones or black and white. Whereas, you know, we're very vibrant cultures full of, you know, different colors and beads and whatever. And so I thought, I think she really did a good, beautiful job of showing that in her artwork. She really did. Uh, so much color, uh, so much content uh, in those illustrated pages. Let's go to the phones now. We have Daniel listening on Keeley in Black Hills, South Dakota. Hello, Daniel. Hello. I like to say the aspect of Wolakota, you know, we grew a home because all of that, you know, everything that we grew up with, you know, we we pray for everybody and we do everything for everybody and, and that's the reason why we don't we know. Oh, one time grandpa said, he said, What are you looking at? And then he went and said that he said that, um he said, Go on, why do you grow your hair? He said. So yeah, Wolakota Hana he said the every every aspect of it, whatever you have and then that's the reason why we grow our hair. Uh, we don't, we don't um, cut it for nothing. We only cut it for when we lose a person, yeah, loved one, mm-hmm. and that's the reason why we cut it. So you know that goes a honk a and then you know every new moon too. That's why we cut it because it'll go longer and stronger. Every new moon and everything like that, and I said we don't, we don't cut our hair for nothing. But it has to be with the ceremony. Daniel, thank you so much. Uh, wise words uh, coming from South Dakota. That's Daniel listening on Keeley and describing the importance of uh, hair in the Lakota culture for sure. Thank you, Daniel, for calling in. Anyone else with a question or a comment or, or wants to share an insight uh, on the significance of hair in their culture, what are you waiting for? 1-800-996-2848. And let's go back to Ashley Lomboy now. And, and Ashley, you know, earlier we were talking about uh, your son and, and your family's predicament there with the charter school. But let's talk a little bit more uh, about the significance of hair in your culture. And what types of hairstyles did uh, Wakamasuan people traditionally wear? All right. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Um, so our people, um, the Wakamasuan people, you know, we were what some of the first ones or actually the first ones here on the coast at first contact. Um, we had about 150 more years um, than many of the many of the other tribes um, first contact with the Spaniards and then secondly um, um, with the English. And so um, our people wore their hair um, long and braids. Um, there's talks of, you know, maybe a shaving on one side to help 
um, with some of the hunting that we were doing. Um, but it wasn't until um, really in the early 1900s, whenever um, Christianity really came into our community and, you know, this assimilation began to start. Um, and I think that over the years, you know, our people have realized, hey, you know, we were, we can still have our hair long and we can, you know, practice our culture and traditions um, and we can believe how we want to. Um, and our hair isn't, uh, doesn't need to be, you know, cut to be a part of that. Um, we weren't, um, you know, um, I'll say when it comes to boarding schools, we didn't have any here in the area. I think there are some stories of um, some people from our areas being, you know, being taken away, um, not knowing where they were going to, but they've been taken away. Um, and so we kind of hold those stories. Um, but it wasn't, you know, too long ago, whenever my son was, we were starting to grow his hair out. And, um, you know, a lot of the boys in our area um, from the tribe, they were also, as parents, you know, we're in this new generation of, you know, embracing our culture, um, revitalizing our traditions, and hair is a major part of that is what you just heard. Um, and so we wanted to um, really continue that and share back with our children why it's so important to grow your hair out. And so this is really um, for us more of a renaissance of bringing back long hair. When I talked to my parents and um, some of our elders, they had their hair long and then it was cut, you know. Um, and so it really is important that we continue those traditions um, of having longer hair um, as a way of resiliency um, mm -hmm. against what we've been told and, and that short hair is better. So. Ashley, it's really interesting to note that there's been a timeline with regard to to Native people in our hair, like in these contemporary eras. And I, I know like pre-1970, you know, in the 50s and the 60s, you know, all those pictures of those old yearbooks and things like that, all the guys have short hair. And then right around 1970, 71, you just see the hair start growing longer and longer. And, uh, and that's really kind of been the resurgence since about that time. And I'm also interested to know, Ashley, your son, I mean, here he is, six years old, um, does he understand what's going on? What's his thought about the school demanding that he cut his hair? What what does he feel? Yeah, so you know, as a as a mama bear, <laughs> you know, I I shield my son um, as best as possible from from all things I feel like are maybe hurt him. Um, and so um, I we were we were just on a trip here a few weeks ago to um, to Florida. And we were in the car, unfortunately, a lot during the time that a lot of this was going on. And so I know he heard me keep talking about Logan's hair, Logan's hair. And so um, one of the nights I, I talked with him and I said, son, you know, I know you hear me talking about your hair. And I want to um, tell you that, you know, there's some people who don't understand about the importance of your hair. And mommy's working and a lot of people are working right now to help educate and share about why that why your hair is so important. Um, and he's like, well, and I said, well, you know, there's some people that some of those people are ones that's in your school and um, they want you to do something different with your hair. And I didn't say cut because that to me is a very triggering thing for him because he loved his hair. Um, and so um, I kind of tailored what I shared with him about what was going on about the situation and his response back to me, well, mommy, what are we going to do about it? And I told him, well, we, mommy is going to protect you. Everyone has got you this. You're not going to have to cut your hair. There's nothing, you know, or change your hairstyle. There's nothing that's going to be different. 
um, I said, don't worry about it. Mommy has you, and we're going to protect you. And so, obviously, big mommy bear hug. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, after that conversation, and, and I've talked to him about it, and he's like, you know, I feel, you know, um, how does this make you feel? And he's like, well, sad. Anything that's going to mess with his hair is going to make him feel sad. And um, and so what he sees right now is just everyone, a renewed, you know, or Logan's hair being a focus. And he's like, I'm popular. He's on, like, the news. And his friends was like, I saw Logan. I saw Logan, I saw you on TV last night. And so all he knows is, like, everyone's really celebrating his hair. Um, and that's all I allow him to see. Obviously, when he gets way older, um, we'll tell him, you know, the full story. But. But right now, he just sees everyone in the world really just celebrating him and his hair and just um, thankful that he's being this young, young, strong warrior um, for um, for the cause, right, for um, standing mm-hmm. up for really all boys and, and having their hair long. Well, it's great to hear, Ashley, how supportive you are, because that's exactly what a child needs right now, parents to, who have his back and are going to stand with him and defend him. Uh, right up there alongside. So appreciate that. And Carol, let's go back to you now. And, um, you know, hearing what's happening there with Ashley's family and some of these other communities as well, where, you know, it still happens where kids are having their hair cut and and some of these other issues. And, you know, writing this latest book of yours, um, what were some things you learned from other tribal communities about the significance of their hair? Um, gosh, well, I just have to say my heart just absolutely goes out to um, Ashley and her son, and I just wish that if there's anything, honestly, I can do to help, please tell me, let me know, because I want to do anything at all to be a voice in helping this change, because it's not, it breaks my heart to think that he, that I, I love, she's such a good mom, oh, what a great mama bear for know the way she's protecting him and you know it's sad that we have to do these things for our children today i still feel like you know protect them from a world that should be not this way especially to a child um but i just think from you know being out you know on the book tour that steph and i were on last week um is it just you know people a lot of um surprise like i said that people didn't really understand or know about the um, boarding school era and understand hair such a why they say they you know really had a surprising awakening to the importance of their hair even like i said not just native people but young people that are of all um cultures are just like oh my gosh they look at their hair and they i think they're Seeing it as more than just a nuisance in the morning, you know, and then something you have to fix to, um, you know, to get through the day, that it's actually more than that, and it's more than that to other people, and that it's important to honor that from other people, even though that may not be what you see in your life. Being aware of that is, is the first step into honoring other people's cultures and knowing that, hey, there's other people that think differently. And that's okay, and that's good, you know, and, and that's how we create <laughs> empathy. And, you know, I, I'm i still surprised, like I say, these stories are here, like this one about um, North Carolina's schools there. And um, when we were in Oklahoma, some of the schools there, like they uh, we were shocked that hearing that they are still reenacting things like the land run in classrooms for children and there's native kids in those classes so there is so much work to do 
in this, you know, in the in my mind, for me, <laughs> mm-hmm. to educate people because this is wrong. I think about little any native child having to be in, subjected to that, even if it's not native, we shouldn't be doing those things. That's wrong. Okay, but and Carol, I'm, I'm sorry, but we are kind of running down on the on the time here. Sorry, I'm what's the best way for? <laughs> no, no worries. What's the best way for our listeners to to be able to read your book? Okay, well, book, um, anywhere, really, you can find um, uh, My Powerful Hair. You can find it at libraries. You can find it at bookstores, um, independent book, you know, indie bookstores, um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, pretty much anywhere books are available. You can find uh, Birch Park Books, which I love in Minnesota. Um, there's some signed copies there, so if you um, contact them, they should be able to have some signed copies for you. Okay, wonderful. And, Ashley, back to you. Um... What is the best way for our listeners to keep up to date on on these issues there that your family is facing in North Carolina? Yeah, well, um, the ACLU has a good blog post out. Um, I think they've been keeping it pretty well updated. Um, If you look look up ACLU, Ashley, Lomboy, you'll you'll kind of see that there. and that's probably the best way to keep up. I don't have any, you know, kind of a central central place necessary, um, you know, about what's going on. But um, I think that's probably the best place to send everyone. All righty. And anything else that you would like our listeners to know about this issue? We're going to have to wrap up in about another minute. Yeah. I, well, I just want to think so. Really think the world. I mean, it really is about changing the world and changing. Um, you know, the next seven generations, if we don't continue to fight for this like we are, like Carol is um, in the book and educate, what are we leaving for our children? What are we leaving for the next generations? And so we really want to, I really want to thank everyone who has reached out and helped try to support this the best that they can. Um, thank you. Thank you for having me, Sean. Absolutely, Ashley. Really appreciate you joining our show today and uh, let your son know. That, that we're thinking about him and we support him very much. Uh, folks, we are going to have to wrap up this conversation now. I'd like to thank our guests today, Carol Lindstrom, Ashley Lomboy, and Amber Starks for a really thought-provoking conversation on hair through a native lens. Join us on Native America Calling again tomorrow as we highlight native track and field athletes. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Trauma touches nearly everyone. The Native American Social Work Studies Institute educates social workers for careers as a community health worker with culturally relevant training. Info at online.nmhu.edu. New Mexico Highlands University supports this show. Support for the menu comes from Spirit Mountain Roasting Company, a small batch specialty coffee roaster located on the Fort Yuma Quetzon Reservation. Information and online ordering at spiritmountainroasting.com slash news. Boujou, if you are 45 years or older, it may be time to talk with a healthcare professional about colon cancer screening. Medicare, Medicaid, and the marketplace have you covered. For more information, visit healthcare.gov or call 800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico, by Quantic Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. 
Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.